Hey guys, Jake Steele, Iron and Steel. This is podcast episode number 16. And uh, as always, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm apparently joined this episode by my dog, Piper, who's in here with me for really no good reason other than she was being a whiny little baby when I was trying to get this done, scratching at the door and uh, whatnot. So uh, yeah, I had to let her in and she's in here with us. So uh, I guess if you hear any crying or whimpering or uh, whining, it is for once uh, not me. <laughs> so anyway, uh, last episode, I read you a story off of my website, which is ironandsteel.com. Uh, the story was the first of a two-part deal that I wrote a couple of years ago. Uh, the first story was called Selling Made Easy. And uh, today I'm going to read you the follow-up, which is called, believe it or not, it's called Buying Made Easy. And uh, I know, very shocking. Uh, It was a two-part series of articles that I wrote a couple years ago and published on the site, uh, basically looking at the process of buying and selling an antique car, classic car, hot rod, what have you. Um, and basically just looking through the lens of both the buyer and the seller um, to sort of give you the best shot at uh, successfully selling a car. And in this case, um, sort of putting you at the front of the line, I guess, um, to give you the opportunity to buy an old car or hot rod, classic car, whatever. Um, Believe it or not, there is an art to doing both, both uh, buying and selling. And uh, a lot of people have no fucking idea how to do it. And uh, I realize that more every day, every uh, thing that I sell and every person that I encounter. <laughs> so anyway, I wrote these, uh, I wrote these couple of articles uh, a few years ago. Again, go back and listen to the first one. It was called Selling Made Easy. That was the last podcast. Uh, this is called Buying Made Easy, and uh, they're both available on the website, ironandsteel.com. While you're there, uh, hit the subscribe button, punch in your email, and uh, you can be, I guess, sort of kept up to date when there's new content, uh, like fresh podcasts or new articles published on the site, or um, new ridiculous merch like this serial killer stuff that I'm doing right now. Uh, one of which is available on the site as we speak, along with a bunch of other ridiculous, stupid, hilarious, awesome, terrible merch. So anyway, ironandsteel.com. Go there, check it out for yourself firsthand. Uh, or don't. I really don't give a shit. So uh, at any rate, again, this is called Buying Made Easy. And uh, afterward, I'm going to answer some uh, questions that I received uh, this week. So we'll do a little Q&A thing at the end and kind of see where we go from there. So uh, again, thanks so much for being here. Uh, This story is called Buying Made Easy or at Least Less Hard. So here's the thing. This article is written operating on the premise that you are a genuinely interested and qualified buyer. If you're a bullshitter, time waster, tire kicker, etc., 
I cannot help you, nor would I want to, as there is nothing more annoying than these motherfuckers from the perspective of the seller. If you're a bullshitter, stop being one of those first, then read on. Or in this case, listen on. The most important thing that we should realize is that the guy selling whatever it is is wading through a sea of these aforementioned tire kickers and time wasters. Nobody enjoys the process of selling something. So knowing this, the best thing we can do is to try to make it as simple as possible. Nothing will give you a leg up more than establishing right out of the gate that you're not there to waste anyone's time. As long as you mean it. (laughs) So first things first, making initial contact. Look, I can tell a bullshitter from a mile away just from their first call, their first text, or email. If you think coming in like some big swinging dick and making a lowball offer is a good idea, you are 100% wrong. There should never be any discussion at all whatsoever about price right off the bat, period. If you're one of these, what's the least you'll take, motherfuckers, (laughs) you need to go back to the last sentence of the last paragraph that I just read. Nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody wants to deal with you. Think of the first contact like a job interview. You should be gathering as much information as you can about the car and the person selling it, while being as nice as humanly possible. If it sounds like something you want to see in person, ask them to schedule a time to come and look. Something like, That sounds like something I'd be very interested in. Is there a time that's convenient for you to have me out? Nobody wants to feel like they're losing control of the transaction right out of the gate, especially over the phone. Don't tell them how it's going to be. Ask them how they'd like to move forward. Believe me, if you want to see someone clam up on you and sell it to the next guy, act like some big shot right out of the gate. Remember, this is their car. Now, part of the game is identifying what the seller's story is. Different people are motivated by different things, and people sell for a lot of different reasons. Figuring out what the seller's motivation is as quickly as possible is going to go a long way to helping you establish a rapport. In my opinion, there are three main categories of sellers. Number one, thinning the herd guy. This guy either built the car or has owned the car for a long period of time, or he's at least been involved with the hobby for years or decades. He knows old cars really well, and he's probably had plenty of them over the years. Number two, The happy idiot. This is the guy who has inherited an old car and he just doesn't know anything about it or he's somehow happened onto some kind of situation that's put this thing into his lap for nothing or close to nothing. Now these people aren't actual idiots, they're just usually ignorant about old cars. And happy ignoramus just had less of a ring to it. Number three, the flipper. 
this is pretty straightforward. There are lots of dudes out there trying to rip a car from both of the guys I just mentioned and flip it to a guy like you. So those are three really different kinds of sellers. They all have one thing in common though. They hate the process of selling a car. Why? Remember the bullshitter we just talked about? So these guys are dealing with that guy times 10 and they're already tired of him. The number one thing that motivates a seller, believe me or not, is not maximum profit. It is being done with the process of selling. That's why you need to know who you're dealing with and know how to navigate them to the best possible outcome. As an example, thinning the herd guy is the toughest one of all to buy from. Inevitably, he has some sort of emotional attachment to the car he's selling. He's usually getting older and realizing he maybe can't keep them all, or maybe he's getting out of the hobby completely. Whatever the situation is, he is likely attached to it emotionally somehow. An emotional attachment equates to, at least in their mind, monetary value. This can be a difficult thing to overcome, but it is not impossible. The best way to score points with these guys is to be genuinely interested in the car's story and especially their story. Can you hear my fucking dog up there? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I kicked her out because she's being a pest and uh, she's still being a pest upstairs. So, uh, Anyway, these guys want to be heard. They want to be complimented on the car and they want to be complimented on the job they did restoring it. They want validation. They're proud of this car and they want to know that whoever it goes to is going to appreciate it as much as they did. And in the end, that will likely mean more to them than getting a little bit more money by selling it to someone who may appreciate it less. If you do a good job of building a relationship with them, they're not going to want to deal with anyone else. They will want to sell it to you, maybe even for less money. And a really good example of this is my 32 three window purchase in an article I wrote called better lucky than good. I think, a, I think that's also a podcast. You'll have to look and see, uh, the flipper. Now the flipper is either really hard or really easy to buy from. These guys often fancy themselves experts in some way and sometimes operate on both profit margins and ego. They still want to feel like they're in control and there's no emotional angle for you to try and leverage. So all I can say is be straightforward and respectful. And remember that these guys are used to the process of negotiation. So when you get to that point, Throw out a price that leaves at least some room to haggle back and forth with. Ideally, they'll give you a sort of bottom line price first, and that'll tell you a lot about what the real number can end up being. Don't forget that this guy wants to move on with their lives too. There's always room if you play the game correctly, and sometimes there's no game to play at all. That's the nice thing about the flipper. It's just numbers. 
you usually won't offend them personally by making an offer. As long as the offer itself is not insulting, of course. And don't get hung up on the idea that this guy is going to, quote, make a buck on you. (laughs) That is 100% irrelevant. If the deal makes sense for both of you, great. If not, no big deal. Then there's the happy idiot. And this happens a lot more than you think. A guy ends up with dad's old car. He sees big dollar signs at the end of the rainbow. It's about a 50-50 split when dad dies. The kid wants to sell it right now for cash and be done with it immediately. Or he got caught up in some romantic idea that he would keep the car and the family and it's been sitting untouched in the garage for seven years. And now he realizes he could probably buy a nice boat for that money and be much happier. Now, usually they don't know much about the car other than what dad had told them about it and that dad really loved it. Usually dad spent a lifetime telling these kids how rare and valuable these cars are. (laughs) So the fun part about these guys is negotiating the balance of I just want to be done with it. Give me some cash. And this was dad's pride and joy, and it must be worth $1 million. These guys are the guys that say shit like, well, looking around, I'm seeing these things bring like $65,000 restored. They don't realize that it took $100,000 to restore it. Anyway, it's always a challenge to educate in a respectful way, but it can be done. With the happy idiot, the same respect should be given to dad's legacy as you would be giving if he were standing in front of you right then and there. Yes, the kid wants to sell it. Yes, he wants quick cash. But no, he doesn't want anyone coming over and telling him that his dad's beloved old car is a big hunk of shit. Spend less time picking the car apart, more time asking about dad, and that will go a long way. Make a fair offer in a nice way while reassuring him that you will give the car the home it deserves. Deep down, the happy idiot wants someone to take over where dad left off and where they failed. They want to see it go to somebody who will appreciate it as much as their relative did, as much as they did, someone just like you. No matter who you're dealing with, Handle your logistics first. By that, I mean have cash in hand, at least a deposit, and easy access, that means same day, to the balance. Know how you're going to transport this thing. If you don't own a trailer, have an idea whether you're going to borrow one or rent one. U-Haul is a great cheap option. Or if you're going to have to call a tow company, whatever the case may be. Know all of this stuff ahead of time. Nobody wants to sell something and have it turn into a three or four part adventure that spans a bunch of days and 25 phone calls while you figure out how to get the money and get the car home. The name of the game is always convenience when you're looking for leverage, period. Something a lot of people don't realize. Fortunately, knowing this will set you apart from the rest and give you the ability to snag the car that you want. So my advice, 
three different types of sellers, all one common theme, respect, foresight, follow through. A novel idea, right? Okay, there you have it. Buying made easy, or at least less hard. Again, ironandsteel.com is a website. That article is there, probably on the second page or so. Uh, you can go there and read it for yourself if you want to. I don't know why you would. I just fucking read it to you. So what more do you want? But I digress. Ironandsteel.com is a website. Uh, lots of good content on there. Uh, lots of content at the very least. <laughs> Uh, and it's all free, so feel free to um, hop over there and check it out. Again, hit the subscribe button. Punch in your fucking email. It takes just a second. So, you know, then you can be up to date on new content, which is several things a week. Uh, fresh articles, new podcasts, whatever. Ridiculous merch, whatever the case may be. So uh, hop over there and check it out at your leisure. Uh, yeah, so maybe we should dive into this uh, Q&A situation and then we can say our goodbyes. So I did get a few uh, pretty good questions come through this week. And uh, yeah, we'll just bounce through this and see where it leads. So the first question was, who introduced you to your love of old Fords and how far back does it go? So I think I've touched on this uh, maybe a few episodes ago, I was asked kind of a similar question. I don't have a great story where like my, you know, my dad or my grandpa was like, uh, some fifties hot rodder, you know, it's ingrained in me and <clears throat> all that stuff. I, you know, my dad has a passing interest in cars. Uh, he grew up in the, you know, sixties and seventies. So really more of a muscle car guy. Uh, my bullshit, he, you know, he's like, hey, neat, yeah, it's cool, but it might as well be a spaceship to him. Uh, you know, if you had a 70 Camaro or Chevelle or something, he'd be all about it. But uh, these clunky old Fords, uh, hot rods and customs, you know, 40s and 50s type of stuff. Uh, I don't have a great story. Uncle Pappy didn't fucking pass it down or whatever. So uh, how far back does it go? At least 20 years. I was in my late teens, early 20s when I got seriously interested in traditional hot rods and customs and race cars and all this stuff. So um, I don't know what the specific origin of it was, um, but whatever it was, it it did a number. It's turned itself into a full-fledged uh, obsession, I guess. So uh, hopefully that answered your question. The next one was, I thought this was interesting. I I've never been asked a question like this before, but uh, it says, any tips for us wives trying to support our car guys? Uh, great question. I, I don't know. I I think it's kind of a difficult question for me to answer because uh, I have sort of the dream scenario. My wife is awesome, totally understanding. We have interests um, of our own that are separate. And uh, she is good about sort of <clears throat> joining me when there's the opportunity to do collective car things. Uh, you know, she likes old cars and thinks that they're neat or whatever, but uh, it's not her passion. So, you know, I, I don't know. I would just say being supportive and understanding, um, 
joining your husband in certain car related things uh, in a supportive way while not being overbearing about it, not being super judgmental, realizing that uh, really for a lot of us, this is not a hobby. It's a, it is truly an obsession. And, uh, you know, maybe being understanding about that, um, you know, when your guy is out in the garage until three in the morning or whatever, just cut him some slack, I guess, basically, and just be a normal, functioning, nice person the other facets of your relationship and uh, everything should just work out fine. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting question. Don't really know how to answer it uh, other than be more like my wife, <laughs> I guess. So uh, let's see. Favorite car themed movies or your take on the hits, good, bad, or ugly. Uh, I'm not a big movie guy. So, you know, I don't know, like, fast and furious like i don't know what we're talking about necessarily <clears throat> so uh the hits in my opinion would be you know all of the sort of um staples you know two lane blacktop american graffiti you know american graffiti is a little cheesy i've got to be in the right mood for it uh the music you know it's the, the whole thing from the perspective of like cinema cars and those two relations those two together and that relationship pretty fucking great movie uh there's not a lot of great car movies out there period in fact two lane blacktop and uh, american graffiti really are two the only two i can think of other than christine um which is a great movie in its own right too i like horror films and stuff so naturally that's on my list too but uh anything outside of those you know few movies like that that everybody kind of knows i don't i don't know a lot about you know anything that came came after that really so not a big movie guy more into documentaries uh speaking of which there's a killer documentary on um lion's drag strip it's like a two-part dvd deal um that would be toward the top of my list if i were picking and choosing uh even though it's not a car movie <clears throat> excuse me it is um definitely obviously car related and it's awesome uh i think it's called lions the last ah fuck i don't want to screw it up but it's lions it's, it's a documentary about lions drag strip so uh, if you haven't seen that check it out i'm sure you can find it online but uh, anyway so that was that the the last question i've a few people have asked me this so <clears throat> It came through and said, uh, are you planning to write a story about Pachinol's legacy and or the accident? Uh, I will never write a story about that day, the what occurred and his passing. I will never write a story about that. Uh, yes, I was there. I, it was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And I want to completely forget that it ever happened. And I don't want to associate that anyway with Pat Ganahl. In other words, I want to forget that that is part of his story at all. So, no, I'll never write a story about um, that day. Okay. Uh, as far as are you planning to write a story about Pat Ganahl's legacy? Uh, possibly, but, you know, the deal is there's already so many people writing that story that are a lot more qualified than me to write it. So 
<clears throat> at some point maybe I'll write my spin on it. Um, but Pacanol is a guy that really kind of needs no introduction, you know, that type of thing. He certainly doesn't need some slapdick like me to write his story. Um, there's a lot of great guys, fantastic writers out there that are already on that. You know, there's been countless articles, um, stories and things already written uh, just in the short amount of time uh, since he passed away. So, no, I don't think I'll write a story about, quote, Pacanal's legacy. I may write uh, maybe some sort of a short story or whatever about uh, my brief relationship with them and the conversations that I've had with them and uh, my impression of them, I guess, which uh, is favorable. If you... Spoiler alert. So uh, He's a great guy. At some point, maybe I'll write something. Uh, at this point, it would seem a little forced, and uh, it, yeah, I'm not inter really interested in, in rushing to that, but uh, maybe at some point I'll write something uh, related to Pacanol. But uh, yeah, so uh, those were kind of the good questions that came through this week. Um, if you sent a question through that I didn't answer, and now you're pissed because I didn't uh, lump it in the pile of good questions, I don't know what to tell you ask a better question. <laughs> uh, again, ironandsteel.com is the website. Thank you again so much for being here. Uh, jump over to the site, check out this stupid serial killer t-shirt and uh, buy it because it is uh, pretty fancy stuff. Your church, fellow churchgoers are going to love it. So, uh, Again, thank you so much for being here. Hopefully you enjoyed this article and uh, I guess I will speak to you guys again in exactly seven days.